0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. It is a new year, isn't it? It's a new year. Here we are, 2022. 2022. That sounds a little like a sci-fi movie to me, but that is the year in which we are currently living. Now, as we have entered into a new year, some of you, maybe many of you, have developed some New Year's resolutions. I know that I spent some of the last, you know, few days coming up with some New Year's resolutions. Anybody in the room come up with any New Year's resolutions yet? Lana, you and I are the two that have come up with some, so that I appreciate that for not leaving me hanging here. But, you know, many of the rest of you, you may have thought through uh, some New Year's resolutions, or you may be going to think through some New Year's resolutions. I mean, maybe the rest of you are perfect, but if you're not and you're looking for some progress, you might have thought through some goals related to your health or professional goals. You might have thought through some goals uh, about personal development or whatever it might be. But I believe something about you, and I believe something about me, and that is that we also share a goal, and the goal that we share is a goal to grow in our relationship with God in the year ahead. Now, why do I know that? Well, I know that because it is 10 degrees below zero outside, and you came here on this day. We gather together today with a hope and an expectation that we might get to know God more. But how do we do that? How do we go from just an aspiration, I wanna know God more, to actually knowing God more? Well, by God's grace, God has given us truth. He's given us his word. He speaks to us through this so that we might get to know him for who he really is. But here's something that I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this as well. When it comes to God's word, we oftentimes will read parts of it while neglecting others. Well, we'll go back to the same verses again and again and again while neglecting other parts of God's revelation. Now that carries with it some challenges and that carries with it some problems. You see, if I were to think about my relationship with my wife and I were to say, you know, I really want to get to know Kimberly more in the year ahead, we've known each other for literally almost our entire lives. But if I think about, I want to get to know her more in the year ahead, it would be silly for me to say, I want to get to know her more. Therefore, I will only listen when she speaks to me on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On Tuesdays, Thursdays, and the weekends, my ears will be off. Probably watching football. No, that's too personal. But, you know, I'll only listen on certain days while turning out and turning off on other days. Would that be a good strategy to really get to know my wife? No, no. It would be a terrible strategy. Why would I only listen to her sometimes? Or if I wanted to really get to know my friend, why would I I say to my friend, you know, I will listen to you and we can talk, but only in this one table at this one coffee shop. If you have anything to say to me anywhere else at any other time, my ears are off. My heart is closed. So that would be a bad strategy to get to know your friend. Well, in the same way, it is a bad idea, friends, for us to say we want to get to know God, but we're only going to look to hear from him in the Gospels because God's given us more than just the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It'd be silly for us to say, God, I really want to get to know you, but I only will listen to you in the letters of Paul. I'll I'll read Galatians and Philippians, but I'll, I'll only read those. I'll tune out everything else. That's a bad strategy because God has said more things. And one of the places in God's word that is often neglected is the book of Revelation. Oftentimes, the book of Revelation, we, we, we just turn it off and we tune it out. We assume that there's nothing in there for us or nothing in there for us that we would ever understand. And we walk away from it and turn to more familiar passages. But friends, if we do that with God, and we are a group of people that want to get to know God more. If that's our strategy, we're saying to God, God, I'll listen to you on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but I'm going to turn you off on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and the weekends. Because inside of the book of Revelation, there is truth, and there's a picture of who our God is that you need and I need to see. And it comes with a promise. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. There is blessing associated with reading this section of God's word from hearing what God has to say about who he is in the midst of it. And so friends, as we head into 2022, as a church family, we're going to be looking at this section, this often neglected section of God's word. And we're going to do so in a number of different sermon series. This month and next month, we're going to be talking about how this section of God's Word reveals for us that Jesus is the Lord of the church. We, being members of the church, He is our Lord. And so we're going to see that in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Then after Easter, we're going to come back and we're going to see how He is also the Lord of heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 as there's a a picture for us of what is happening in heaven right now, even as we speak. And then in May and June, we're going to look at how Jesus is the Lord of the earth in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And then next fall, with the start of a new school year, we'll, we'll conclude our study by talking about how Jesus is also the Lord of the new heaven and the new earth, that he is over and above and sovereign and will deliver to us a new reality where we will spend eternity, amen? So when we look at this this letter of revelation, what we see is truth that we need to know if we're gonna really know God better. And we're gonna be reading and listening to God through these words this year. Now, today we're going to kick off that study by looking at part one of how Jesus is the Lord of the church, and we're going to see that in the first eight verses of Revelation chapter one. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to take it out and turn there now, or if you have a device, tap your way over to Revelation chapter one. We're going to spend the balance of our time today in Revelation one, verses one through eight. I want to read these verses for us, and then after we have read them, we'll back up and we'll make a couple of observations as we connect this truth uh, to our lives today. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle John writes and says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead. And ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, friends, in these eight verses, we're going to see a couple of things today as we begin our study of this book. Well, What are those things? Well, the first thing we're going to see is this. We're going to see that there's an opportunity to get to know Jesus. There's an opportunity to get to know Jesus, and it comes clear in the very first words of this letter. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 begins this way. This book is a revelation of who? Let's say that together. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's an unveiling. That's what the word revelation means. It's a, it's a making clear. It is a, is a shining a light on someone. And that one that becomes clear, the one that is unveiled as we look at this book is the person of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is this word revelation, it doesn't mean to obscure. It means to to make known. And this is not often how we think about the book of Revelation, is it? We often think of the book of Revelation, maybe the reason why you have hesitated to read it or to study it is because there are a lot of symbols inside of it. There's a a lot of different things talked about that we might struggle to understand, but here's what we need to know at the very beginning. God gave us this letter not to confuse us. God gave us this letter to reveal to us something of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we should have an expectation as we read it that we'll get to know Jesus better. Now, this is something that William Newell makes clear. You know, all of the different symbols and numbers and names inside of the book of Revelation. William Newell reminds us of the importance of looking for Christ as we read it. He says it will be vain to become occupied with sevens or hundred forty four thousands or sixty six sixes. sixes, the restoration of the Roman Empire, the person of the Antichrist, the two wild beasts, the millennium, or even the new Jerusalem. Unless along with God the Father who has subjected all things unto him, Christ is ever before our eyes. Friends, what we have in Revelation is we have a a, a black canvas, a black velvet canvas of the future upon which the brilliant radiance of our Savior is laid out for us to see. So we should have an expectation as we look at Revelation that we will find out more of who Jesus really is. Now, even in this introduction, what do we see about Jesus in the introduction to the book of Revelation? Well, we see a number of things. One of the things that we see is that Jesus is a member of the Trinity. Uh, This revelation was initiated by God, and at the very beginning of this book, the the Trinity refers to the fact that there is one God who is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God. Fully human, yes, but also fully God. And what we see in this letter is we're reminded of that as Jesus is placed alongside the Father and the Spirit. He says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, who is being referred to there? That is God the Father and from the seven spirits. Who is being referred to there? Well, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit, but maybe it's not as easy for us to see. Because what is this saying? That there are somehow seven Holy Spirits? And what's the significance of the number seven? Well, the number seven is a number of completion. And this reference is, is referring to the fact that the whole Holy Spirit is involved in this. But I also think seven is used because There are seven representative churches to which this letter was originally given. And it was a reminder that that same Spirit was able to be fully present for each of the churches. And that's a promise that is true for us as well today. The Spirit is fully present with us. And so Jesus is alongside the Father and the Spirit. And He is there as the third member of the Trinity. So we see in this equation that Jesus is revealed very early on in this letter As God himself. But what else do we see about Jesus? Well, we also see here that Jesus communicates with his church. He communicates with his church. We see this in the first few verses. It says that Jesus has made these things known. Jesus has made these things known that revelation that came from the father through the son to an angel, to the apostle John, and then communicated to us inside the church. Jesus is communicating with us. Friends, Jesus is not absent from us, but he's present with us, and he is communicating to us through his word. That's a wonderful promise. You know, one of the things I wish I was much better at as a son is talking to my parents. Just, I, I love to talk to them, but life gets busy, and you know, when can we find time to talk? I love the holidays. I had many chances to talk to them over the break, and that was a wonderful thing. But all too often, I think I'm, I'm, I'm the son that doesn't call enough. And sometimes we might think of our connection to Jesus. He's the God who we feel distant from because we don't hear from him very often. But at the beginning of Revelation, we get a reminder. He is the God who communicates with us. And he communicates with us through his word, the gospels, the epistles, and yes, even the book of Revelation. He's speaking to us through his word. He's communicating with us. What else do we learn about Jesus? We learn that he is the the faithful witness. the, The faithful witness. Not only is he communicating, but what he is communicating is true. Now that's a wonderful reminder, isn't it? We don't think that the Bible or God's word is full of both truth and error. We know that what we have in our hands in the scripture is truth, it's because it comes from a faithful witness. Jesus communicates God's truth to us. It is why he came. We can have confidence in what he says. We also are reminded that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, verse 5 tells us. Now, what does this mean to say that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead? Does this mean that Jesus was the first to be resurrected? Well, no, that's not true, because there are others who are resurrected, including those that Jesus resurrected. Remember Lazarus who died and Jesus spoke to Lazarus in the tomb and Lazarus came forth? Jesus was not the first to be resurrected. But by saying that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, what is being said is that Jesus is preeminent over all who have experienced resurrection. And the reason why he's preeminent is because the resurrection that Jesus experienced was not on the basis of someone else's power, it was on the basis of his identity as the Son of God. And not only that, but Jesus would be able to deliver resurrection to others. When Lazarus came forth from the tomb, all he could do was say what God did to him. But when Jesus comes forth from the tomb, he's able to say to all who would die in his name, come forth, come with me, be with me forever. Jesus is the preeminent of the dead. He's the one that won the victory over the grave. And we're reminded of that in his identity right here. But not only is he the firstborn of the dead, but verse 5 also tells us that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is a wonderful reminder to us because we live on an earth that has a lot of rulers and a lot of kings. We don't maybe call them kings. We might call them different offices and officers, different government officials. Some of them we like, some of them we don't like. Just be honest. That's just the reality of living in this world. But whether we like them or not, the leaders of this world all have something in common. They are all imperfect. Some of their decisions are wise and some of them are foolish. But as we live out our lives in a world where we are are pulled and pushed here and there by leaders that get some things right and other things wrong, we are able to be reminded and comforted that there is a leader who sits above and over all of them. And that is Jesus Christ. And he is perfect and he has never made a mistake. And one day his kingdom will be established and it will be far superior to anything else that has happened on this earth. Because who will be leading us? Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. We see that reminded in the early stages of this book. We'll see that played out in this letter as we move forward in the book of Revelation. But we also get reminded that he loves us. And this ought to be greatly encouraging to us, right? The one who is the firstborn of the dead, the one who is the ruler of the kings of the earth, loves you. Now that is a remarkable statement. But it gets even better than that. Because we all know people who tell us they love us and then act as if they don't. But when it comes to our God, he doesn't just tell us he loves us, he actually loves us. And it translates into action that benefits us tremendously. What is the the chief example of that? Well, he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to free us from our sins by his blood. Jesus died to take the penalty of our sins. He, He died not only to take that penalty, but also to give us an opportunity to live empowered by the spirit of God, to live a life that is pleasing to God. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has broken sin's necessary rule over us in its ultimate consequence. He is someone to be praised and honored as a result. Not only has he broken that dominion of sin over us, but also he has made us a kingdom. Now, what does it mean that we're a kingdom? Well, it means that we're a group of people who are living life underneath one king. That's what it means. Jesus is the king, the sovereign. He is the one that unites us. You realize that, that all of us here have something in common, and it goes beyond just our, our geography. Yes, we're, we're all in Norman, but there's something that unites us. That's why even those who are watching this service and joining us from places all over the world, we can have something incredible in common with them regardless of what's on our passport, regardless of what our native tongue is, regardless of who our parents were. What unites us is our king. If we have trusted in Christ, then we are living inside of the realm of his dominion. We are living inside of his kingdom and under his kingdom rule. And so we have that great thing in common. We gather as a kingdom. But not only do we gather as a kingdom, but we also gather as priests. Jesus has made us priests. Now, what do we mean by that? What I mean by that is that priests have direct access to God. You realize that you have direct access to God? You know, as a pastor, I have this experience often. People will come up to me and they will want me to pray for something because they assume that as a pastor, I have some kind of a red phone hotline to God. That, that God will listen to my prayer, but he won't listen to yours. Now, if if you come up and that's your thought, know this. I love to pray with you. It is an honor. And we pray as a moment of fellowship, trusting God together. That is a privilege that I have as a pastor. But we don't need to, you don't need to come to me to pray because you can go to God directly, not just through me. Because of what Christ has done, we all have direct access to God if we are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. That means if you are at home, you have access to God. You can relate to him. If you are on the road, you have access to God. You have a connection with him. Jesus has made that possible by dying for our sins and by giving us the Holy Spirit. And so we see that Jesus has made us a kingdom. We see that he has made us priests. And because of that, he is worthy of all honor and dominion and glory. Why do we spend this time singing these songs and lifting up his name? Why do we gather in his honor on these, on these Sundays? We do so because Jesus is the one who is worthy of, Of glory and honor and praise. Not only is he all of these things, but verse 7 reminds us of something awesome. He is coming back to this earth. Jesus, who lived his earthly life and then ascended to heaven, is coming back. Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Now, where did this come from? Well, this came from God, but this isn't the first time God talked about this. This very idea was talked about a number of different places inside of the Scripture in very similar language. Let's think about the moment in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascended into heaven. The disciples, including the apostle John, standing on the hillside, looking up at the sky, watching Jesus ascend. It says, and when he had said these things, when Jesus had said these things, as they, the disciples, were looking on, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, apostle John included, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, when John heard that, that would have been incredibly encouraging, right? They're watching their Lord and Savior ascend to heaven, wondering how they will manage life with him in heaven. And the angel says, hey, guess what? He's coming back. He would have been encouraged by that. But when Revelation was written, it had been 60 years the volume on that soundtrack had been turned down. And then in Revelation 1-7, John gets reminded, guess what? It's still true. He's still coming back in the clouds. Now, this was not just something that John was aware of. This is something that was talked about in Scripture, even going all the way back to the Old Testament, Uh, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 talks about the nation of Israel's response to Jesus when he returns. And it says this, it says, "I, I will pour out on the house of David, on the nation of Israel and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. This Old Testament prophecy connects with what is said in Revelation 1-7 to remind us that when Jesus comes on the clouds at the time of his second coming, the nation of Israel alive at that time will see him and will realize that the one they turned over to the Romans for crucifixion was indeed the Savior of the world. And they will weep in repentance and turn to him. This is an incredible promise in Revelation 1-7. But not only will the nation of Israel see him, but Revelation 1-7 tells us that all will see him when he comes back, including the tribes of the earth. This echoes what Jesus himself had said in Matthew 24, verse 30. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Some will embrace him, some will be received in salvation, but those who reject him when they see him coming in the clouds will weep knowing that judgment is coming. You see, friends, at the beginning of this book of Revelation, what is revealed is the person of Jesus Christ, his identity and who he is, and the reaffirmation of the promise that he will come back to this earth again one day. And so if we want to get to know Jesus, we should not neglect this important book in the Bible that against the the black background of the future, reveals to us the brilliant radiance of our God. Not just the Gospels, but the book of Revelation as well. And this year, our desire is to get to know Jesus more by looking at this book. That's the first thing we need to see. But there's the second thing we need to see in these verses, and that is this. We need to live, or we ought to live, with a sense of urgency. Live with a sense of urgency. Now, we see this in the the language that is used, the timestamps that are used inside of Revelation 1, 1 to 3. There are two different timestamps that are used there. Uh, The the first one is found in verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Now, what does he mean, the things that must soon take place? Well, it means things that had not yet happened but were going to unfold in the days ahead. Even today as we read this book, something we'll see over the weeks ahead, the events of this book are still future. Many of them, still future, things that we are waiting to happen. And so there's a sense where these things are, are, are soon to take place. I like it the idea of this idea of soon, because it reminds us of uh, something that we see from the Old Testament. See, when Daniel gave his prophecy of the end times, Daniel called them the latter days." In other words, those days they're going to happen way down the road. But when John here talks in Revelation 1, he talks about the things that are soon to take place. The latter days are the next days. They're the things that are getting ready to transpire upon the earth. As we sit here today, the events of Revelation are events that are getting ready to transpire upon the earth. And the end of verse 3 tells us that the time or the era when those events will begin to unfold is near now when we see that those events are near what what does that mean because if you're like me this is probably something that you've thought of i don't consider 2000 years as near right i mean these words were written in 95 ad and here we sit in 2022 and these events are still future. That means that near is at least a couple of thousand years away. Now, that is, that is a, a difficult thing for us to reconcile, isn't it? But we need to be reminded that our perspective and timing is just different than God's. Our perspective and timing is, is different. Uh, there's, there's a fictional story, but I think it helps illustrate the point of a man that goes uh, in the presence of God... And he sees God and he says, God, I need to ask you a question. He says, God, I understand that a thousand years to us are just but a few seconds for you. Is, is, that, is that true? And God says, Yes, that is true. And then the person says, And I understand that millions of dollars to us are just a penny for you. Is that true? God said, Yes, that's true. And then the man says to God, Well, if that's the case, then God, could I just have a penny? To which God says, well, wait a second. Now, that's a silly story, isn't it? But it does illustrate that our conception of near and far are probably a little different than they are for an eternal God. But God has amassed the events of the future. He knows where this is headed. This is not a a world careening out of control. This is a world that is moving sovereignly in a direction that God has ordained. And the events of the future are sitting at the door. So why is it that they haven't come in just yet? Well, Peter gives us some explanation of this. He says in 2 Peter 3, 8, 9, But but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. If you've thought the Lord has been slow in delivering on the promises of Revelation 1, you're in good company. Peter would have said the same thing. But we should not count God as slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness because there's a purpose, there's a point with it. God is patient towards us. That's why he's waiting, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is God still not returned unto January 2nd, 2022? It's Because he's giving more of us the chance to respond, to repent and to turn to him. As someone that trusted Christ in April of 1990, I can tell you I'm thankful that God didn't send his son to return in December of 89. I'm sure at that time there was someone saying, God, why are you delaying but I'm so thankful that he delayed. And even as we sit here today, friends, if God tarries another year, another thousand years, it will be because of his mercy and his grace and his pursuit of us. But even with that, knowing that the events of the end are amassed at the doorstep, knowing that they are near, we should have an urgency in our response We should respond while we have time. See, Revelation 1, the blessed promise we saw earlier, was going to be unveiled not just to those who hear this, but to those who hear it and keep it and respond to it. If we want the blessing of this book, it is not enough for us to merely read it or to have it mindlessly pass before our eyes. But there is a need for us to respond in faith. Warren Wiersbe talks a little bit about this. He says, John did not send this book of prophecy to the assemblies in order to satisfy their curiosity about the future. God's people were going through intense persecution, something we'll talk about next week, and they needed encouragement. As they heard this book, its message would give them strength and hope, but even more, its message would help them examine their own lives and each local assembly to determine those areas needing correction. They were not only to hear the word, but they were also to keep it. That is, to guard it as a treasure and practice what it said. The blessing would come not just by hearing, but even more so by doing. And so we are called to respond. And we are called to respond with a sense of urgency. But what would it look like for us to respond with a sense of urgency? Well, a couple of thoughts. The first one is that we would respond by getting to know Jesus, by having that on our list of goals for the new year, that we would get to know Christ, that we would learn more of his character, that we would trust him. And how would we translate that into some practical action? Well, one of the ways is by gathering in worship, prioritizing the gathering with God's people on weekends. Not so that our seats are filled, but so that we might be reminded of these great truths and the songs that we sing and the, the scripture that we look to. Our goals we gather is to get to know Christ more. Get together with those who have the same goal. You, know, you think about that. We, 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 we join a health club. We, we get a, a part of an exercise group if we want to grow in our physical fitness. Even if they're not our best friends, we'll get together with them because there's a a benefit that comes to us physically by gathering with them. Friends, there's a benefit to us spiritually by gathering with people who are lifting up the name of Jesus together. May we prioritize that in the year ahead. May we prioritize reading our Bible. God has given us His Word not just to have someone else read it for us once a week, but for us to have access to it all the time. If you're looking for a plan or a pattern to read God's word in the new year, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapters 1 through 3 over the next two months. Maybe just spend a little bit of time each day reading a portion of that word, preparing yourself for our times of worship on the weekends. And spending time praying. Not only hearing from God and His word, but talking with Him, expressing the things that we're concerned about and struggling with and the questions that we have, giving Him thanks and praise for who he is, and what he's done in our lives. So part of what our urgent response would be is to prioritize getting to know Jesus. But a second part of our urgent response is this, not just to to learn about him, but also to respond by by keeping this word and, and doing something with it, to live as if he is returning because he, in fact, is returning. He's at the door of history ready to return to this earth. One day, you and I will have to look him in the eye and give an account for our lives. The wise person understands that and lives today in light of that future meeting. See, friends, we see this revelation of Jesus Christ and we are invited to respond. Would you join me as we pray? Father God, thank you. Thank you for this great truth that we have seen today. Thank you for the encouragement that it has given to us. Lord, we we pray that we would be a people who just prioritize getting to know you this year and that we would allow your word that you have, have given to us, including this letter of revelation, so that we might get to know more of your character and your heart and who your son Jesus Christ really is. Pray that you would open our eyes to see him more this year and that you would give us the faith and the courage to respond in kind and to live our lives in light of his return. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.